morning. The, uh, I did want to say before we uh, uh, got into our text, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we had a wonderful uh, reception and uh, got a very nice uh, uh, pen set. It's uh, wooden and uh, has my name on it. It's, it's very nice and the rest of the family got things last Wednesday. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, very, very, very kind of y'all. Thank you for your patience uh, with me. You can imagine the size of crowns you're going to have in heaven uh, for uh, the patience you guys had with me. So thank you very much. We are in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through verse 24. Like, can it be done? Yes, it can be done. We will we'll make it through the whole thing. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. This is the Word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces, of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, uh, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this uh, in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that uh, in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that uh, you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be uh, to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. I pray now that as we look at this text, and we, we probably already have Sunday school lessons that we can remember about the armor of God, I pray that your spirit would illumine our minds so that we could really understand this text. Father, so that we can become more like Christ and less like ourselves. Father, I pray that you would do a work within us to transform us. Father, there's nothing within us that we can do this, and there's no amount of rhetoric on my part that I can cause that type of change. 
Father, I pray that your spirit would work mightily among us. Father, if there's someone here that's not saved, that your spirit would convict them of sin and show them their need to put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the historical context in which we find ourselves is that Paul is, um, uh, he had just got done talking about relationships. He talked about husband and wife uh, relationships. He talked about father and um, uh, parent, uh, parent and children relationships. And then he talked about uh, employer-employee relationships. And that's kind of how he developed this last uh, section that we saw last Sunday. And, and then he moves into this thing about the armor of God. There's a, a, a method of studying a text, any type of text, which is uh, discourse linguistics or discourse analysis, where the person reading the text takes uh, uh, the paragraph and, and looks and compares it with the second paragraph, with the next paragraph, and to see the development of thought that the author is doing. The focus isn't so much on, on word study and looking specifically at the words or the relationship in a, a sentence or in a clause, but rather it's in a much bigger section of looking how one thought in a paragraph, a complete thought, uh, leads itself or, or is used to develop this other thought and, and so forth and so on. Uh, people write in this way. They, they have a purpose for writing, and as they write it, they develop their thoughts in the sequence by paragraphs. And So discourse analysis looks at this, and as we look at chapter 6, especially verses 10 and following, it seems like uh, in discourse analysis, you, you would say there, there's a sharp contrast between chapter 6 and chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1 has this whole uh, focus on, on God's sovereignty, that he has this plan and he has, he has uh, predestined to, make, uh, uh, to adopt uh, us as sons, uh, to be holy and blameless. Uh, Christ has redeemed. Uh, the Spirit has sealed. These are all things that God has done. And, and, and you say, well, what, what part does the person play? Uh, what does he contribute? What does he bring to the table? In, in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, nothing is being brought to the table other than the person putting faith in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. That's, that's the only thing. But then you come over here to chapter 6, and it looks like it's, it's just diametrically opposed to what has happened over there. Over here... It's like, uh, put on the armor of God. You, you put on this helmet, you put on this breastplate, you, you grab this shield, you grab this sword, and it seems like, wow, they're just a total opposite, one with the other, one over there, God has this sovereign plan. Over here, it seems like the person is, is doing something. And, and you don't say, well, where in the world, where's God in all this? Uh, the person is having to get ready, get prepared for battle. I mean, what, what's the point of putting on all these things if it's not for battle? So as we look at this, we might be tempted to think, wow, there's just a sharp contrast one with the other. But what we're going to see is that there really isn't so much of a sharp contrast, but rather Paul presents a life that's dependent upon God. And what we're going to be looking at in these verses is that Christians must depend on God's resources to live as a faithful ambassador in a hostile world. What we'll be looking at from verses 10 through 24 is that Christians must depend on God's resources 
to live as a faithful ambassador in a hostile world. And we see that in verses 10 through 13, we must live dependent on Christ's strength. We must live dependent on Christ's strength. He says, finally, now this, uh, this marks, uh, syntactically, it marks a, a deviation. So it's not a continuation of what has already been presented, but rather it, it marks a sharp contrast with what has been presented. But uh, semantically, it has the idea of now moving forward, this is what you're going to do. As you uh, progress in your life, based on chapter 4, the things that have been presented, based on those things of walking worthy, walking in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, based on that thing, you're going to live now this way. And, and what does he say that you're going to do? Well, he says, to be strong. That word, uh, to be strong, is uh, to cause to be able to function to do something. It doesn't have the idea of having mental capacity to do the thing, but it has to do with um, actually being able to do a certain function. Last year we, uh, uh, I, I said last year, <laughs> last year we had somebody come in and uh, bury a, um, a, a cable line. And in their uh, effort to bury this cable line, they broke one of my irrigation pipes. And uh, so uh, I've been working on it for, uh, I, I just got it finished about three weeks ago. <laughs> uh, I'd buy the pipe, and I'd get there with the pipe, and it'd be the wrong size of pipe. And then I'd, I'd go back, and I'd have to get something, and, and, uh, and it, then it was the wrong size of, of joints to, to put the thing together. Uh, I had watched a ton of YouTube videos, and, and mentally I thought, I can do this. But then the actual doing was a whole different story. I mean, it just drug out and out and out. I had the wrong glue. I had the wrong this. I had the wrong that. This is a word that has not to do with a, a mental capacity of doing something, but actually being able to do that thing. And it says, be, be strong. Be capable. But it's a, it's a present which has this ongoing aspect to it, but it's a passive. And the, the passive is emphasized further by the fact that it's not be strong in yourself, but it's be strong in the Lord, or you could say more of an instrument with the Lord, with the Lord's strength. It's not your own strength, your own capacity of doing something, but rather it is, it is in the Lord. It's a life-dependent. Uh, with the Lord, in the strength of His might. How, how are you going to live? Not a life where the person depends on themselves and their capability of doing something, but rather the person is living dependent on Christ and finding strength in Christ. And now, as we keep on moving forward, it says, verse 11, uh, put on the full armor of God. That put is a... Uh, is an imperative, and it's a middle, which has a difference in that it's you yourself put this on. And the only way you're going to you yourself put this on is if you are being strong in the Lord. So if you are strong in the Lord, then you yourself put on, what are you putting on? Your own? You've gone down to the store and you started looking at all the armor that's there present and you thought, oh, you know what, I think I need a little bit of this and I'll get me some of the little bit of that and I, I, need, I need three of those over there. 
No. It's in a, it's in a genitive, which, which gives a, 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 it makes it peculiar. It's not armor in general. It, whose armor is it? It's of God. It's God's armor. You're to put on God's armor. Now, there's something very interesting about God's armor. I don't know if you remember that story where, um, where there was one day uh, uh, Goliath, and he was standing uh, on the battlefield, and he was challenging the children of Israel, and he was saying, send out a champion that I can go fight. And uh, there was Israel and his army, and they were, they were on the other side, and uh, Saul, who's a whole head and shoulders, above everybody else, he is hiding with all his men. And one good day, here comes David, and he's brought some ham sandwiches. Not ham sandwiches, I was just kidding about that. Roast beef sandwiches for his brothers. And, and he's got these roast beef sandwiches, and he's passing them out, and he hears what Goliath is saying. And he's like, somebody needs to shut this guy up. And, and so they, they bring him before Saul. And you remember what Saul did? He says, I've got something for you. And he starts to put on his, his, uh, his uh, armory. And, of course, David is probably about 14, 15 years old. Uh, Saul is a whole head and shoulders above everybody. The helmet doesn't fit. The armor just does not fit. It's all hanging really low. And he's like, I don't think I can, I can work like this. This is not going to function. There's something interesting about God's armor in that it fits the individual. You don't ever have to worry about saying, oh, this is too big. Uh, this doesn't quite fit. I, I don't think I can button this. There's never that option with God's armor. It will always fit. But, but note that it's not your armor. You don't get to just go out and pick what you want. It, it's a dependence on God. Now, what is this armor for? It, it, it gives a, a conditional uh, a purpose clause here uh, for what it's used. It says that you'll be able to stand firm to stand. It has this idea of being stationary, of desisting from movement, of not moving anymore. You're just in place. And you're not going to be moved, as it says, from the schemes, scheming or craftiness. Now, in Ephesians, this word has only been used one other time, and it's in chapter 4, verse 14 where he says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So uh, there's these individuals who come with incorrect doctrine and they have this deceitful scheming, but here the scheming is of the devil, the adversary, the one who slanders. This armor being put on is to stand firm against this, as it says. Now he says in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's, he's been talking about this situation where there's these uh, forces that we're involved in over in chapter 1. Uh, verse 21, he says, Far above all the rulers and authority and power and dominion of every name that is named, not in this age, but also in the one to come. Christ has been placed above all these principalities, all these rulers. Uh, over in chapter 2, 
It, it talks about that in verse 2, that there's this prince of the power of the air, uh, which the sons of disobedience are aligned themselves with. Now, he, he's been talking about these forces that are involved. It's not just a against flesh and blood, but it's against demonic forces that the Christian is fighting against. And he says in verse uh, 13, Therefore, because of this, because of the fact that this is a spiritual battle, take up, again, the imperative of, of you do this. But it's only possible through this being strong, which is a passive, being strong in the, in the strength of the Lord. It says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Well, you can be placed in opposition, uh, put against the evil day. Now, which evil day is it talking about? Uh, some take this as a, a future evil day, an eschatological evil day, something that's going to be over out in the future. Uh, some take this as to be, uh, since there's the prince of the power of the air, every day is an evil day, right? Uh, and then some take it as, well, there are specific moments in a person's life that are, tend to be more evil than other days. And if I were to have to decide on which one uh, I would hold to, I would kind of do a combination of that. Because of the prince of the power of the air, there are every day is an evil day. And furthermore, there are specific times when one goes through specific battles and one needs the armor of God so that you can be able to resist it. And it says, having uh, done everything, so stand firm. Don't, don't be moved. Don't be moved at all. Now, he's telling us that we need to live dependent on Christ's strength. And I think that we can look at two applications out of this. The first application that we need to realize is that we are at a disadvantage. Our struggle comes from a scheming adversary. And the scheming adversary uh, is against those. And if we try to engage that in our own strength, we're going to lose. There's no way to, to win that situation. Look at all the things that it says, all the, the powers of the world, the forces of darkness, etc., etc., et In ourselves, in our own strength, there's no way to win. It has to be a life dependent on Christ's strength. That's the only way that you can do it. Now, the question is, how in the world do you live in Christ's strength? Because it's quite nice to say, oh, you should live in Christ's strength. Oh, thank you. I, I'm going to do that today. Well, what does that look like? How do I wake up in the morning with Christ's strength? Christ's strength is demonstrated itself when the person humbly says no to sin and obeys God's word. Oh, your desire wants to do this thing so badly but you remember a scripture and you say, no, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. That's living in his strength. It's saying no to what your desire is, and in faith, I'm going to obey. <laughs> I really want to do this. In faith, I will obey. I don't have the strength to do this. In faith, I will obey that he'll give me the strength. That's what it is to live in Christ's strength. It is to obey his word. Uh, hoping, uh, you're, you're saying, I, I really see an advantage of doing this sin. Oh, I'm going to put faith that it's better to obey. I'm going to put faith that it's better to obey the Lord. 
Now, not only are we at a disadvantage, but we're being told that we need to stand firm. Now, we've been going through the book of Acts in the men's breakfast. And if there's one thing that we've seen in the life of Paul is that uh, uh, geographically, he wasn't always in one place. <laughs> uh, he, you see him getting kicked out of town after town after town, synagogue after synagogue after synagogue. I mean, you, you lose count of how many synagogues this guy gets kicked out of. Uh, he, he, he is moving constantly. So what does it mean to stand firm if it's not a geographically being stopped in one place? I think that you would have to answer that contextually because there's been these five imperatives that he has given, these five commands, uh, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Over in verse 17 of chapter 4. So this I say and affirm together with you that you know uh, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened by their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Uh, he, it's a call to walking in holiness. Uh, chapter 5, verse 2, And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Over in verse 8, we're called uh, also, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then chapter 5, verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Standing firm seems to be not a geographical position, but it, it has more the idea of not abandoning these imperatives, these commands, to never cease walking in this manner. It, see, there's a temptation. There's a temptation that uh, you'll want to do this. Uh, you, you'll want to be, be prideful in a situation. And rather than being prideful, you, you need to walk as wise. There'll be a situation that comes up and you'll want to be unloving. And you say, no, God's calling me to walk in love. There'll be a situation that you say, I could really benefit by acting in darkness right now. I could really benefit of acting in darkness. And standing firm says, no, I'm going to walk as a child of light. That's what I want to do. That's what standing firm is. When the individual continues obeying God's word, regardless of what happens. Now, we're to live dependent on Christ's strength. We're also to live to stand dependent on God's armor. A stand dependent on God's armor. We see that in verses 14 through 17. In, in verses 14 through 17, the, the, the imperative is stand firm. Stand firm. He's repeating this over and over again. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which, is, which you will be able to uh, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and uh, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. Now, think with me as to when it might have been the first time that you heard this text. Maybe it was in Sunday school. Maybe someone had a picture uh, on, on, a, on a flannel graph. Maybe not flannel graph. Maybe it was just a picture. And, uh, and they had the armor of God. Now, what was the image? What, what person did they have? I mean, go, go into your mind palace and think. What type of person was that? Was it like a modern-day soldier? Usually not, right? Usually it has a Roman soldier there. And a lot has been done in studying out uh, the correlation between a Roman soldier and the Christian life. And people have tried to do all types of studying and doing cultural analysis and, and looking at how the Roman soldier was and how the Christian should be. And, and yet there are a lot of uh, correlation, but then there's also differences. There's certain things that the Roman soldier has that in this text were not presented to be having. Uh, things that they carried around with them, and yet uh, Paul does not say, and make sure you've got this, and make sure you've got that, and, and so forth and so on. Uh, so what image is Paul alluding to here? When he's talking about this armor, uh, what is he mentioning? What, what is supposed to go into our mind, if not the Roman soldier? Well, he, he's making Old Testament references. He's, he's echoing a certain prophet, specifically the prophet Isaiah. And, and uh, we, we don't have time to develop it. it. It's a really interesting study to develop it. But if you were to look at, for example, Isaiah 11.5, uh, where it talks about this, this belt of righteousness and faithfulness that this has. The, the one who has this is, is this uh, shoot from, uh, from, from Jesse who will come. It, it, it's a, a messianic passage. It, it references Christ. And what's going to characterize Christ when he comes is that he's going to have this belt of righteousness. There will be righteousness associated with the Messiah. Uh, Isaiah 52, uh, 7, the blessings of salvation uh, to, to the one who was sold uh, will now be redeemed. And therefore, uh, to announce the good news, announce the good news, go out and announce the good news that the one who has been sold has been redeemed, there's salvation. It's the gospel. Uh, Isaiah 52, verse 7, the blessings of, of uh, uh, sorry, Isaiah 59, verse 17 it anticipates God's working out his perfect justice in, in the person. And, and this Messiah person will have a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation as he goes out and conquers. The passages that we see as it's referenced here are all related to the Messiah and, and what he will do in providing salvation. So what is this armor if not Christ himself? It's not something else that you add on. I have Christ, and I have a helmet of salvation, and I have a, a, a shield, and I have... It's Christ. He's using Old Testament uh, references to refer back to Christ. What is the person supposed to take on to have? It's Christ. It's a really interesting study to look at. So we're to stand firm with Christ. Now, you might be thinking, like, hmm... I don't know about standing firm with Christ. 
That didn't seem like it really helped Stephen. Remember Stephen? Got chosen to be a deacon. He was just trying to serve the Lord, and they said, hey, let's make this guy a deacon. And then he's preaching, and the people get all ticked off with his preaching. And how does he end up? Ends up dead, stoned. That's how he ends up, and you say, uh, if there was somebody in the book of Acts who, who might have had this armor, it was probably Stephen, and with that armor, that guy ended up dead. I don't know if I want that armor. Well, what is that armor going to do for me? It doesn't seem like it protects. Or, or, or Paul. Paul surely had this armor on. But, I mean, if you read through his life story, he got stoned. They thought he was dead. He got arrested. He got beaten. He got arrested. He got shipwrecked. He got arrested. I mean, over and over again, this guy is like, and you're like, how did this armor help Paul out in his life? Like, you know, you, know you, you put certain things on LinkedIn, you know, to kind of help your career a little bit. How does the armor of God help him? It doesn't seem like it helped him at all. Like, I think I'll not use the armor of God, and I'll just kind of stay over here kind of quietly. It would be the temptation. But it's having Christ. See, if you, if you have Christ, you have everything. There's a passage uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through, through 9, you know the text very well, where he is praying, Paul is praying that this thorn in the flesh be removed from him. And he tells them, verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for, the, uh, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Uh, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that, I, that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that m- the power of Christ may dwell in me. He, he, he wanted Christ. I'll keep the thorn as long as I can have Christ. I'll take the persecution as long as I can have Christ. What is he telling the believers here? Have this armor. What is the armor? It's Christ. Have Christ in your life. As long as you've got Christ, you're good. It doesn't matter what you're going to face. As long as you have Christ. Now, you think, I don't know about this. Christ's grace is sufficient for everything. For every heartache, for every trauma, for every sickness, for every situation you wanted to go this way and ended up going that way, Christ is sufficient. And as long as you have Christ, you'll make it through anything. Now, verses 18 through 20, we're to pray dependent on the Spirit's boldness to share the gospel. Now, if you're looking at the development of thought, paragraph by paragraph of how this is being developed, you do not anticipate what he's going to say in these verses, 18 through 20. Because he says, first of all, you are to be strong, not in your own strength, but in Christ's strength. So you're like, man, this is a divine empowerment. This, this strength of Christ in you. 
And then it says you know, to put on this armor. And so you think about this guy uh, with all this armor, the helmet, the shield, the sword, the breastplate. And you're thinking, hot dog, this guy's going to go out and he's ready for war. Divine empowerment with this armor of God. This guy's going to go out and do something. What does he say to do? What's the next thought that comes out? Go and conquer the world. No. No. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that the utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That, you don't anticipate that. You don't think that that's what's going to happen. To be all geared up with the divine empowerment, to have all the armor on, and then the person drops to their knees to be praying in the Spirit. But that's what he says. That's how he develops his thought. The next thing is to pray. And to be praying in the Spirit as the Spirit would pray. And you're praying for all the saints. And specifically, he's praying, verse 19, on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in opening of my mouth. His development of thought is, you need Christ's empowerment and God's armor so that you can proclaim the gospel. And specifically, he says, uh, for which I am an ambassador. Now, can you imagine how absurd it would be if America had all its ambassadors here in the States? <laughs> that, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And our ambassador to Venezuela, he lives in Texas. And, and our ambassador, to he lives over in Florida. That's not what you do with ambassadors. You, you don't keep them here. You send them out. That's, that's the purpose, is to be sent out. You don't keep them present. You send them out. They're supposed to be representing. What is he doing? The strength of Christ and the armament is missiological to go reach the nations. For whom did Christ die? For the nations. And he needs this spirit-filled power so that he can have the opportunity to share with boldness the mystery of of the gospel. Well, people have always been saved through faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto righteousness. What's this mystery of the gospel? It's that, it's specifically that believing in Jesus Christ, you can be saved of your sins and be placed into the body of Christ. That's a mystery that wasn't known in the Old Testament. He wants to boldly speak, uh, uh, boldly talk as he ought to. To, to be able to share this as he's traveling around. Having the armor of God is missiological. It's part of missions. It's part of reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, prayer moves God to change us. That's what he wants. Pray so that he will have this utterance they're praying that God will give him this utterance. Now, we pray for a lot of stuff. We do. 
We pray for healing. We pray for relationships to be restored. We, we pray for all types of things. But what Paul desperately wants is to be able to utter the gospel, to say the gospel, the gospel to preach it. Now he ends this text with how to uh, relate with one another. Verses uh, 21 through 24. To relate to one another with peace, love, and grace. Uh, his, his desire, as he says here in verse 21. Uh, but that you may also know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you with this very purpose, so that you may know about us and may be comforted uh, your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ uh, with incorruptible love. Now, his desire, as much as possible, is that there be a relating one to another with peace, love, and grace. Peace, love, and grace. What should characterize this church is peace, love, and grace. That's only possible if you also have that peace, love, and grace. See, it's, it's really hard to share grace with somebody that you have not received yourself. It, it's really hard to share love with somebody when you have not received God's love through Jesus Christ. And it's impossible for you to share peace when you have no peace with God. What's dependent upon doing this is that the individual has peace, love, and grace. I wonder if there might be someone here who maybe knows a lot about Scripture, but they don't really have a relationship with God. Oh, they, they've got information. They've heard Sunday school stories, but they've never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They've heard all types of things, and maybe they've seen stuff on the news, and maybe they have saw a documentary on the Discovery Channel, but really... All that information is just information in their head and they don't really have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They'd have no peace, you have no love, and you have no grace. But you can have that if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you understand that there's nothing that you can do, that you are dead in your trespasses of sin, and there's not a thing you can do to try to save yourself, but God, in His infinite love and mercy and His grace towards you, has sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you, to take your place, to, to take upon Himself your sins and receive God's wrath. He, he propitiated, He appeased God's wrath in your place. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can have peace with God. You can receive that grace. You can have that love. Would you accept Christ as your Savior? Christians must depend on God's resources to live as a faithful ambassador in a hostile world. Remember I said that it, on first appearance, chapter 1 looked diametrically opposed to chapter 6. Chapter 1 seemed like God has this sovereign plan and He's working all things out and then chapter 6 looks like uh, it's the individual doing everything. But that's not how it is at all. The individual only lives on Christ's strength. 
on God's armor and through the Spirit. If you're to live this Christian life, it's all dependent on God, and there's no other way. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I pray now as we examine our hearts, if there is someone here that's not saved, I pray your Spirit would convict them and show them their need of a Savior. Father, I, I pray for those of us who are saved. Father, I, maybe we've been trying to live in our own strength. Uh, maybe we've been trying to live with our own armor. And maybe our prayers have not been so that we can share the gospel. I pray that we could repent of that and live in obedience to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you please stand with me?